Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and this is your podcast covering the AHL Wilkesbury, oh, sorry, the NHL Pittsburgh Penguins, and there's only one way to really start off this episode, Horwat. There's only one question to ask, and I want to ask it to you plain and simple. What the hell was that? Man, I don't know. I do not know. It's not on the West Coast anymore, so we're not losing sleep over it. Yes, we are, though. Uh, And I I think uh, this team made me sick, man. I'm not sick of this team, but this team quite literally made me sick. I'm fighting through it today, but uh, better than normal, I guess. This, what was that? What was that? You know, it was disappointing. It was very, very disappointing. We can tell that this team is good. Right, we can tell. We can see it there. They're putting on these great games. These two, these last two recent ones, they were great games. They were good. They just couldn't close it. Um, we could tell this team is good. It's a matter of shutting it down. It is a matter of. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to say playing the full sixty. I think. In, I think in Boston specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a full sixty minute performance. They just got outdone by no um, certain aspects, and it was maybe a fifty two minute performance. Sure, let's. Ifs and buts, candy and nuts, let's not nitpick here, but for what it's worth, it was more than what they've been giving. And Buffalo needs no introduction, God only knows. I also it wasn't fighting, this quick also insight, I wasn't fighting to look for a stream yesterday. Um, so I just listened to it on radio, first of all, loved, always loved the call from Getzoff and Bork, but uh, there were some radio mishaps. The Penguins were up, were they still up, 3-1? to one? At the time, or was it tied? I forget. Whenever I texted you, uh, the radio never came back from commercial at one point. Whenever they were heading into that important penalty kill, I think it was 3-3, and they and they, it never came back. I had to like read Twitter that they killed off the penalty. Good. But then I had to read Twitter that the Sabres scored anyway. And I went, don't, I don't even want the game to come back on. So, yeah, it was a brutal, I don't, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? It was disappointing. That's what it was. Before we get into, because there's a lot of negative things to get into in this podcast, because this team has not played well and, and considerably, that's why you haven't won a game in two calendar weeks, uh, dating back to the game against the LA Kings where they won 6-1. to one. Um, But it's not the sky is falling yet. I know I've said that a lot, and I know some people are going to listen to me and roll their eyes and be like, listen, if they, they lost six straight, the longest losing streak, or tied for the longest losing streak in the Mike Sullivan era, if the sky isn't falling yet, when does it start? Well, if you look at the next couple stretch of games, you know, they have one game in the next five or six days, a chance to get right, a chance to figure things out in practice, to talk things over, to try to figure out what they need to do to get better. If that doesn't help, and they can't get things right on the following stretch because it's a lot of away games, okay, then the sky might be falling. So make sure Chicken Little is ready on the sidelines, but let's not let him yell quite yet. But looking at what we've seen to this point and in the past, six-game losing streak, two multi-goal leads that are blown in the third period. You said 6-5 to to OT against the Bruins, 6-3 against the Sabres. The biggest issue with them is... It's, they're not playing the full 60, yes, but it's always the third period now. Like, what is going on in the final 20 minutes of the game that this team turns into a pumpkin? Because 
If you look at the third period over the last four games, we won't even take it the entire way through the six game losing streak, but in the last four games, they have been outscored 11 to one in the final frame. The only goal being that Jake Gensel goal about 10 seconds in last night against the Buffalo Sabres. Like we said, they've blown a two goal lead in the last two games and it just looks like they run out of gas. You know, and you mentioned it. Don't worry about playing the full 60 because we know that that's not something that this team's just going to be able to up and do at this point in, in time. They need to turn it around before they play that full 60. But just get better throughout the game. That's what I'm asking from now through the next couple of weeks. I don't want, I don't care about seeing the full 60 because I don't think this team's going to give it to me. What I want to see is get better as the night progresses. Don't get worse because guess what? That stabbed you right in the back the last couple of nights. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what they have to figure out how to do. Lock it in, close it down. The full 60 can come and go as it pleases, I guess. I mean, ideally you still see it, but this team's got some weird issues. Playing the full 60 is one of them. That penalty kill is a whole other animal in itself. And also, if the penalty kill is going to be bad, for the love of God, be disciplined. Five penalties again in in Buffalo. Uh, I don't remember how many in Boston, uh, but it wasn't zero. And it wasn't one. It was more than that. If your penalty kill is going to struggle because it's a bunch of new faces, because they're missing Teddy Bluger, the time for excuses is far from over. It's far over. Uh, that just needs to be improved on. Sure, we may have Teddy back on Saturday. Cool, love that. Uh, that doesn't mean much. The only thing that really means is, I don't know, Ryan Paling might be out of the lineup. Josh Archibald might be out of the lineup. Cool, where do you go? From? Drew O'Connor's definitely getting out of the lineup, I guess, if Bluger's coming back on Saturday, unless they really enjoy what he's done so far, which I don't think it's been terrible. Maybe one play here or there. Um, regardless, we discussed it before. Teddy Bluger's not going to be the immediate fix. For this penalty kill, mm. or for this team, does he does he help? He helps. Yeah, every good player helps. But he's also playing his first game since well preseason, but first big game since the postseason last year. He's gonna need a game or two to get his legs under him. Sorry to break it to you, he's not he's not the kind of player that's gonna come right in like a house of fire right away. So don't expect him to be the immediate help right away. Um, it's it's not fun. I think there are aspects. There are definitely good parts of this team. That top six still looks really good. We can admit that. No matter where Raquel is playing, whether it be on the first or second line, the top six looks good. Zucker seems to be seems to be having a good year so far. Like there are positives to draw, but it is the negatives that are far outweighing everything. And that penalty kills a huge negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Teddy Bluger, uh, since you brought it up, you know this penalty kill. It's not just that it's bad. This penalty kill is unbelievably bad and this team is unbelievably undisciplined right now I mean the penalty kill has given up at least one goal in nine of the 11 games so far that's that's horrendous like that's bad and listen Teddy Bluger is going to be a big reason why that penalty kill gets better but right now they're at like 28th 29th in the National Hockey League Teddy Bluger comes in plays at the top of his ability and improves that penalty kill, that's still only going to take it to maybe 20th, maybe 19th or 18th, because one player can only do so much. And the only other player that's going to make the bigger difference than Teddy Bluger going forward in the penalty kill is whichever guy is wearing the big pads between the pipes. 
And right now, it's it's simply not good enough from either of the Penguins' goaltenders. Casey DeSmith, we mentioned it when we were talking on Monday about his game against the Seattle Kraken last weekend. His positioning is out of whack. And you, you saw it or you heard it last night, depending on whether or not you listened or watched the game. Two of the Sabres' goals, he was on the other side of Niagara Falls. Like, he was nowhere to be found. And listen, to, to some extent, yes, the Penguins have to clog up those lanes better. But at the same time, there wasn't a snowball's chance of hell that he was ever going to get over based on where he was positioned. Even if there was a deflection, even if the, the Sabres players would stop, hold off for a second, look up into the crowd and say hi to their moms because it was Mother's Night in Buffalo, and then shot the puck, they still would have scored the goal in, on both of those occasions. So the from the Smith last night, his positioning was out of whack. And the same thing from Jari on Tuesday. Tristan Jari started the season and everybody was talking about, hey, first time ever, Tristan Jari has been 3-0. Tristan Jari was above a 930 save percentage. We talked on a poll that some fans voted that Tristan Jari staying above 930 was one of the most likely trends to continue after the first week of the season. He hasn't looked good. His last three starts have been abysmal. He's given up over four goals per game. And it's not just the fact that yeah, the defense is bad, and we'll get to that in a second. The defense has not been good at all. But it's the positioning of Tristan Jari. On the fourth goal for Boston on Tuesday, why was his ass the whole way back on the goal line with no traffic in front and a shot coming in from the point? I know that deflections are not easy to save in the National Hockey League, but you're one, a National Hockey League starting goaltender. You want to get paid like it this offseason. So I understand that deflections can be hard. But when the deflection is as far out, when you have as much vision as Tristan Jari had on that play because nobody was in front of him, it becomes on you because you're sitting so far back in your crease unnecessarily on a shot from the point with nobody in front of you. His positioning was off, and then also the timing saves are just not there from either of the guys. When you need a big save to keep the team in the game, these guys aren't making the save, and that's when the bad cold comes. And that is something that could seriously deteriorate the situation in Pittsburgh. So I don't think it's been enough from either goaltender. I'm not going to say that both goaltenders are flat out bad because we know they're better than they're playing, but it's just a matter of fact that not anyone really. I mean, the top six, yes, Crosby's line was great against Boston. Malkin's line has shown its moments. Malkin himself has had his moments where he looks dominant, but nobody on this team is absolved from this six game losing streak, except for maybe the video coach. <laughs> that's about it. Maybe the video coach. And yeah, that's it. Because it is the players on the ice trying to perform, trying to get the wins. Mike Sullivan tore into the boys uh, during that timeout yesterday, last night. Um, and you can't, you can put a little blame on Sullivan. There were some coaching decisions that may be questionable, but at the same time, he's not, he's the one deployed on the ice is the guys on the ice that have to go out there and hold down games. If, if the Penguins win the last few games, we look at those coaching decisions like genius moves, honestly. Hmm. It is it, it, the, the bad play of these players has made Mike Sullivan look stubborn and stingy and not not fit for the job. Let's, let's get this out of the way right now. People who say he's on the hot seat are lunatics no. and don't realize he just signed a, a three-year contract extension with two years left on his current one. That's not how that works. He's mm -hmm. not going anywhere for at least three of those years. So let's 
seal that in right now. He's not going anywhere. Uh, we knew Fenway. He was one of the two safe names when Fenway came in. I bet I would, you know, like to bet that he's still one of the safe names. It is up to the players to close out the game. Sidney Crosby said it a couple times now. They just got to learn how to close it out. They're getting their leads. They're playing well. Sidney Crosby said after the Boston game, he thought it was one of their better games. And it was. You can look at that game, mm-hmm. aside from the ending, and say, yeah, that totally was. They put up another five. They put up a five-goal performance back at home. They answered. Sidney Crosby scored 30 seconds into the game. They were, right up, they were off the jump the right way against the best team in the league. And they just couldn't sweep the leg for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Whether it be the discipline, whether it be the penalty kill, whatever. Something got into them and they couldn't do it. Same thing happened to Buffalo. Whereas it wasn't as big of a score, but it felt like a stronger game than the rest of the of the road trip. It was... They scored 30, 30 seconds or so. Eight seconds, sorry. Eight seconds into the third period on the power play. Okay. Special teams have struggled on both sides a lot. But hey, the power play got a goal. Way to go. Let's roll. And then what happened? The sticks were taken out of their hands for some reason. Don't know exactly what happened. They just couldn't do it. So it's not that this team is bad. You can see that this team has skill. You can see that this team is, is a good team. You can see it. It's a matter of closing it out locking it down finishing it off the right way it's you could say that the fact that they had leads is a step in the right direction from the last few games of the of the uh road trip yeah and it might be but they lost and you might say hey we got a pity point oh has no one has discussed that pity point we got in boston and we shouldn't no we shouldn't oh cool great maybe it helps us in the standings down the line but guess what don't care at the moment. It can be as early as it wants. We can't be playing from behind. Guess what? Both of the pity points for the Pittsburgh Penguins came in games where they should have locked up two points. They gave up goals in the last two minutes of the game to go into overtime, and then we we know what happened in overtime. I mean, that power play, we don't have to talk about it, but that power play against Boston in overtime. One shot. Not good. One shot. That's bad. Yeah, one shot. Full two minutes. Not good enough. That's not good enough. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, and we're going to continue this conversation in the second segment because there's still so much to say. But the last thing I want to talk about is is Brian Dumlin. He's continuously struggling, and that's the one. That's the one move. Listen, you can question Mike Sullivan's lineup decisions and his forward decisions all you want. It is trivial whether or not Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel is on the line with Sidney Crosby versus Evgeny Malkin. That is trivial. Why? Because you're splitting hairs between two really good players that have played such, or as such, so far this season. The issue becomes the defense. And we'll, we'll expand on that in the second segment. But Brian Dumlin specifically is an issue. Not Nobody's playing well on the back end. But it's constantly Dumlin that is found, found on the ice when the other team lights the lamp. 21 goals. Brian Dumlin has been on the ice for in all situations that shorthanded five on five power play, I guess, but he doesn't play it 40 or 21 goals. I should say, guess what? He's tied for the league lead in goals allowed when on the ice with Dmitry Kulikov of the Anaheim Ducks. How many goals have the Penguins allowed this season? 41. <laughs> oh, it's over half. Just barely. 21 of 41. He's on the ice half the time. The other team scores. Oh man. Imagine that. Imagine being the other team facing that. 
hey boys, when that man is on the ice, 50% of the time, 50% of it, we're going to score. Just almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's ugly. And that's the thing. Listen, the, the whole defense isn't good, but he is that much worse than a bad defense right now. But they're and, abusing and him. They are. They are. And they continuously put him out there. We saw it in the Seattle game. There is a wavering of confidence in Brian Dumlin. Otherwise, they wouldn't have demoted him in that game. Yeah. And the but then he that, went right back up there yeah. because of the Latang sickness, and then they kept him up there when Latang came back. Yeah. Fine, don't move him whenever Latang is sick, whatever, so be it. I mean, at that point, I would say, why not move the entire second line up to first? See what happens. Just give him those first line minutes. I thought Marcus... If there has been a bright spot of this defense, it's been Marcus Patterson and P.O. Joseph this year so far. That's about it. And it's not even because they're playing well. It's just that they look better. I mean, they're they're playing well, but you know what I mean. They just It's not that they're recording the points or uh, playing stout defensively. It's just that they just look better. P.O. Joseph looks so quick. Marcus Patterson looks a lot faster. Um, They're playing – both of those two are playing extremely smart hockey that they are – slowly becoming more deserving of a first-line position than Brian Dumoulin is. Mm-hmm. Money, whatever, you know, French, or not friendship. Chemistry with Latang. I think chemistry with Latang has gone out the window. Mm-hmm. At this point, it is about what makes the team good, what makes the team better. It's why we were all season discuss- or all preseason discussing how Ty Smith kind of looks better than P.O. Joseph. Sometimes you just got to go with the player that looks better. Hey, guess who looks better? Anyone but Brian Dumoulin. Mm. So we can continue to go in on Brian Dumoulin, but I think the best way for for fans and for listeners to really get an understanding of how bad Brian Dumoulin has been, Jesse Marshall said he's putting out a piece today that really highlights the worst parts of the play of Brian Dumoulin so far. So go check that out on The Athletic. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I'm sure it's it's not going to be a positive piece Uh, for number eight on the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the defense. We're going to talk a little bit more about the star players. We're going to look at some of the positives because there are some positives to take away. We sprinkled them in there in the first segment. And then we're going to look ahead to the Pittsburgh Penguins taking on the Seattle Kraken over the weekend. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Obviously, not a lot positive to talk about with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we're going to try to do that a little bit later in this segment. We started talking about the defense, and I want to continue that discussion here, Horwat. We obviously talked about Brian Dublin, and as I mentioned at the end of the last segment, check out Jesse Marshall's piece that's coming out today on The Athletic for more in-depth look at what is going wrong with the 31-year-old defenseman Brian Dumoulin in his, what, eighth season in Pittsburgh. But uh, definitely check that out. But the problem, I think, with the defense there is it breaks down at the end of the game, like we mentioned, 11-1 to being outscored in the third period. And part of that is the forwards playing defense. But the other problem is, and it, it goes towards goaltending as well, but once you allow four or more goals in five of the last six games... I understand you have a couple Hall of Famers for forwards. I understand that you try to utilize your defense for offense and you do it some of the best in the league. But if you're giving up four more goals in almost every single game, it's going to be hard for your team to win more than they lose. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can't win boat races. We can't 
outscore our problems. We have to shut down opposing opposing offenses. That's all there is to it. Yeah, you'd like to have a team that can score more than four goals a game as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's just fun hockey. But you know that's not going to happen every night, and you can't give up for every night. And mm-hmm. looking at even, like you said, looking at the goalie numbers, looking at the defensive metrics, it's not good right now. And that back end is struggling. We can't, mm-hmm. we can score goals all we want, but sometimes we got to stop a few because that's where things get out of hand. I think the most worrisome part for me about the Penguins defense right now, you mentioned late in the last segment that, hey, P.O. Joseph has played well. And that Bruins game, I think, was his best game of the season. He looked fantastic. And that's take away the, the really nice assist on the Malkin goal that tied it up in the second. He had a really good game Regardless. without that. Yeah. yeah, add that on, it makes it even better. I think Marcus Pedersen, as you mentioned, also doing really well. I think Jan Ruda has also done what he's been asked. You know, he's gone out there. I, I've seen more good defensive plays than bad. Has he cleared out the net front as much as the Penguins had hoped? Probably not, but nobody on this team has. So the scary part is, that's your bottom three defensemen or at least what you were expecting to be your bottom three defensemen coming to the year. Who is struggling the most? Brian Dumoulin. We talked about him. Chris Letang, who's your Penguins Hall of Fame, at least, defenseman. And Jeff Petrie, who's the highest paid of them all. So your three expectedly best defensemen are your three worst performers at this point. Petrie is having some issues with staying out of the penalty box. He is having some spacing and some gap issues. You saw that on that goal against the the Boston Bruins where for some reason him, and I think it was Pedersen who he was with, were basically hip to hip on a three-on-two for the Boston Bruins. It's an issue that your best three defensemen, that you at least the people you expected to be the best three, are your worst. And that's a scary, scary thing as the Penguins have now lost six straight and it doesn't look like there's an end in sight for this defense to turn it around. 14 penalty minutes already for Jeff Petrie. And they're all minors. Yep. That's... Looking at some of the numbers, I mean... He had... <laughs> yeah, no, that's in 11 games, too. That's so brutal. This is... Uh, yeah, he needs to stay out of the box. That's just, that's just easy. Every, he, he seems like he can be an e- the easiest fix out of these guys, though. You can flip his switch pretty quickly if he just stays out of the box and um, fixes a couple of mechanical things. Whereas Dumoulin, we don't know what's going on. There's just a switch turned off in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris Letang, I mean, dude, we re-signed you for six years. <laughs> six. And there is there is a level of Chris Letang is struggling because he's playing with an anchor. There is, there is a little bit I'll of that. that. Yeah. But at the same time, there's, there's plays that Latang has been making that harkens back three years ago, pre-return of Todd Reardon, where, it, you know, if he would have played like that throughout the end of his contract, he probably wouldn't have been given six years and six million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all questionable. I think Dumoulin is an anchor. I, it, you're, you're right on that part. That I didn't even think about how. I just kind of separated them all. Looked at them all individually. The anchor of... Brian Dumoulin holding back Latang is it's it's a struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. we looked at the numbers for Dumoulin, 21 goals against. That's literally just above half of all the goals we've given up this year so far. Um, and not only that, but with Latang, it's one of the big issues was man, shoot it, just take a shot every now and again. Mm-hmm. 
we know you have that ability, and you haven't scored yet this year. Try something. Maybe something flips in. I don't know. It, the power play has looked brutal. I mean, yeah, great. That was a great pass uh, by Latang yesterday, but you can only do so much with just one pass. Try shooting it every now and again on the on the power play. Try being, being a little more defensively because you have an anchor with you. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. Defense is a hard position, but it's uh, all three of those guys got to be better, especially if they're supposed to be the quote-unquote top three. Yeah, specifically if they're supposed to be the the top three. We can't and... we can't give them all the Cody Cece treatment. We no. can't say, hey, all three of you are going to play less minutes. One or two, maybe, maybe you can do that with one or two. Specifically, Brian Dumoulin should be given that treatment over in a shelter your minutes. We know you still have some ability somewhere. Find it, find it mm -hmm. with fewer minutes. Take advantage. The Dan Heinen treatment from last year. Boy sat, boy played, boy was playing four minutes a night. Four minutes a night. And then what does he For do? For an entire week. Yeah. And he took advantage of those four minutes in a couple of those games. Found his way back in. And lo and behold, this season, the little difference this season, was on the first line for a couple games. Should he have been there or not? We, uh, who cares? He was there. The coaching staff saw enough out of him to put him next to Sidney Crosby in the time of need. So it's a demotion like that that we've seen Mike Sullivan deploy before. It's time to do it again. Time to do it again. Now, with the other star players, we talked about the top on the defense, and that includes Chris Letang, but with the other star players, listen, if it wasn't for them, I know a lot of people are getting in on, you know, Evgeny Malkin, this is why you shouldn't have brought back Malkin, he's old, same thing with Letang, and, you know, people talking about that. If it wasn't for these guys, the Penguins wouldn't have leads to blow. Like, oh, yeah. They wouldn't. Nope. They wouldn't be out in front in these games, they wouldn't be as close as they are in games, because... The bottom six has not been good enough. I mean, Josh Archibald, sure, goals in back-to-back -back games, but there's times where that line is getting caved in. You know, Ryan Paling is is what he is. He's a fourth-line guy. Um, and then the third line, the third line was more invisible than the fourth line the last couple of games. Like, Kasperi Kapanen, Danton Heinen, Drew O'Connor. I mean, O'Connor, yeah, he had a breakaway early on in the game against Buffalo, Kapanen had a couple opportunities in that game against Boston, but realistically, that line has been invisible, and it's been a non-factor. So whenever you have a bottom six that's not performing like that, your top six is going to suffer because it all of the pressure of scoring and, and getting out to a lead and even holding the lead because those lines defensively haven't been great as well, that's going to fall on them. And, and listen, yes, they are older, which means it's going to be harder for them even more so. To, to continue to, to carry the team the way they have been. But if it wasn't for them, the Pens wouldn't have the leads to blow. They're still not absolved from, from the issues. They're not, because, listen, Evgeny Malkin at points, frustratingly bad plays and bad turnovers. Same with Chris Letang. Same with Sidney Crosby. There were a couple times in last night's game where Crosby doesn't make the clear. He turns it over, and that's something you never see, is Sidney Crosby making bad turnovers in his own, own zone. So... They're not absolved from this. Nobody's playing great. And I, I thought the effort in the final period was seriously lacking the last two games from that top six as well. I mean, is it fatigue? Is it Latang coming in off of being sick, maybe still sick? You know, you can make the excuses all you want. It just plain and simple weren't good enough. And the one thing that can be highlighted from that, the one epitome of not good enough from those guys, is Evgeny Malkin and Chris Latang. With an empty net, both being outskated by Zemgus Gergensens. 
he's he's not a young guy either. So it's not like a young blazing saddles Peyton Krebs goes out there and and outskates you. He blows past Malkin who was drifting. Malkin tries to hook him instead of, you know, picking up the pace and trying to get back to him. And then he just flat out beats Chris Letang. You can't have that happen. No. That you just you just can't. And again, it's at the end of the game, a game in which those players were all tasked with being the best players on the ice and then some because the bottom six wasn't giving them very much other than one goal. And, you know, Latang coming off a of sickness, maybe that's why. But I think more so on that play, Evgeny Malkin's effort was very frustrating. It, it, it was. It was. You, We discussed the top six and that, how we said, hey, yeah, the top six is pretty good so far. The top six players, those six forwards are literally the top six point scorers on the team right now. Yep. No one has interfered. No, no one's not lacking. No, it is the top six carrying this team to give them leads to blow, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, people have not enjoyed Evgeny Malkin this year. One thing that I have to say about Malkin Latang not getting back is you cannot prove the angry Yinzer on Facebook right. You cannot <laughs> prove these pissed off people on twitter or facebook that comment that they that say they are lazy that say they are stubborn millionaires this that the other all the words that you would expect from or you would expect to describe an athlete who plays a sport for a living you know from the but you can't prove the outsider right you have to show them that it is hard to do this and you looked like you're proving them right you were drifting back like you said you're being lazy on the play you cannot look lazy especially when you're because again we're in you're playing for Pittsburgh you understand how angry these fans can get they're pissed off at the Steelers right now yeah they don't care about the Pirates but they're pissed off at the Pirates for what they're pissed off at Bob Nutting there it is and right now they're about to get they're really pissed off at the Penguins because you're riding a five-game losing streak already six I'm getting there you're already in the midst of a five-game losing streak it's the Steelers bye week Let's all breathe. Let's take a t- let's take a week off. Matt Canada said some things that everyone's ignoring. Let's sit back and watch. Oh, they're playing the Sabres. The Sabres are bad. Let's watch them take a win. Oh, they're on a five-game losing streak. Okay, well, how'd that happen? Are they being lazy again? Oh, look, they're being lazy again, and they lost six straight now. And then everyone gets angry. You see why people immediately dig for the fire Sullivan, trade this person, trade that person. Welcome back to Yinzer Twitter. <laughs> it's that time of year again, and we're 11 games in. Like yeah. I said, we can we can say it's early all we want, but you can't play from behind. Sure, the Penguins won two cups off of playing from behind, but you know what happened both of those years? We fired a head coach because we weren't good. Mm-hmm. We're not firing a head coach this year for multiple reasons, one of them being contracts, two being we are not a bad team. We are just playing bad right now. So, Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. Don't prove Yenzer's right. And, I don't know, play better? <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of went on a long spiel about how Facebook comments make me angry all the time. So, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> That's why you just gotta, you, you know, I laugh at them. I enjoy them, actually. I like reading down through some of those. I do, but, too. Um, I just like I'm keeping... also I'm, I'm also kind of like a psychopath, so enjoying watching people write that I, I don't know what I'm talking about while they spew Fire Sullivan. He's on the hot seat. He's going to get fired. You know, it, it makes me happy. But, um, no, like you said, the only thing I would push back on that entire sentiment, and I know you were kind of saying it from the mind of an angry Yinzer, but the Buffalo Sabres are good this year, man. This year, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's 
Be angry. At least the start. Yeah. They're always good at the start, but, you know, we'll see if that carries on. It's the angry Yinzer that's tuning in a little late and doesn't pay attention to the rest of the league, just kind of sees the Penguins in front of them and the league standings at the end of the year. You know, it's the, it's the bare bones uh, hockey fan in Pittsburgh, which let's just be honest, we know there's a ton of them. It's football mm-hmm. season right now. It's it's people aren't paying that close of attention to the Penguins because it is football season right now. But once that is once football season ends and the fans sh- fans show back up, you can't look lazy again. They, so and and I don't pay attention to the Facebook comments either. I do laugh at them. I just like keeping notes of them because they cannot be proven right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's go through some positives before we look ahead to the Kraken game. Uh, we talked about P.O. Joseph. He looked really good against the Bruins. And listen, he, he didn't go out there and shine like he did against the Bruins when he played the, the Buffalo Sabres last night. But I thought he had a pretty good game as well. He still did a lot of the good things. He had a lot of the same, you know, characteristics of the player that we saw on Tuesday night. So he's playing well. And, and there's a reason that the Penguins haven't pulled the trade or pulled the trigger on the trade yet. One, because his value is going up every single day. And two, because he's a young defenseman that is one of your best defensemen. You're not going to trade that guy away, no matter how good Ty Smith has played in Wilkes-Barre. So uh, good on P.O. Joseph. He's looked really good. Um, he's one of the, the few bright spots of the past couple of days, um, other than them getting out to leads in, in those those short moments. But yeah, good on P.O. Joseph. Uh, Sidney Crosby's line dominated against the Boston Bruins. They looked really bad against the Buffalo Sabres. They were caved in as far as expected goals at five on five, but they, they dominated the Boston Bruins and Patrice Bergeron, which is something we don't get to say very often about Crosby's line. Yeah, no, it's not. They, 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 that line, that line's so good still. That's, yeah. It's a wonder what happens sometimes. You run out, of, you run out of gas. Like you're only human. Like people are like, Oh, it's a new game. You know, that you had 24 hours off. You don't understand how tough that could be to not only... You don't have 24 hours off because you have travel. And then you're obviously trying to recuperate. And you're up late the the previous night. So it's not an easy thing to be a professional athlete. Especially a professional athlete in one of these sports that play in back-to-back games consistently. And listen, that was the Penguins' third set of back-to-backs. This next stretch where they're only playing one game in six days. I'm sure the Penguins are so happy that they're finally going to be able to get some rest before going back out on the road and playing six of the next seven uh, away from PPG Paints Arena. But that line looked really good on Tuesday. Um, And that's what a lot of Penguins fans should look at and say, this is what the Penguins can be. Because if that line is caving in the top line of the Boston Bruins, then that line is one of the best lines in hockey. It is, yeah. They truly can be one of the best lines in hockey. I mean... I said it was pretty much inevitable that Russ was going to take Raquel's spot. It really mm-hmm. was, and now it's happened. And again, so be it. it. We know that we know that Rust is going to perform well no matter where he is, whether it be with Crosby or Malkin. Raquel might be held back a little bit by Malkin, but that's neither here nor there. They can work it out. Raquel still looked pretty good despite Malkin, quote unquote, holding him back. Maybe the numbers dip a little, but so what? He looks good. He looks really good. He's got five goals on the season so far, by the way. You're welcome. I don't know, he looks good to me. Yeah. Like I said, this top six, one through six, leading the team in points. That's a. We know that that those guys can dominate offensively. Jake Gensel's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many games he's playing in. He's scoring a ton of goals. He seven games, five goals. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And 
you know, Sidney Crosby maybe he hasn't had an assist in what looks like three weeks. He's stuck on eight ninety nine, man. Oh, man, it's so funny. It's on like every press sheet we get. It's like the first thing. He I, I want him to get it so bad just so I have something new to look at. Well, and it's funny too because I thought he had it last night on that because I was like, oh, you scored nine nine seconds in. Crosby won the faceoff. Yeah. He has. Oh wait, no, Malkin touched the puck. So Crosby doesn't get the assist, so he's still at 899. And then, of course, the Penguins don't score again the rest of the game. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's oof, it's rough. And it's, uh, it's, it's rough to stay there, but the line is playing well. And we talked about the top six itself. It is playing well. And it looked good, too, in those RoboPen jerseys. There's a positive. I thought they looked really good. I know you said you didn't watch the game. I'm sure you saw some pictures, though. Um, and you definitely saw the video of Jason Zucker getting back on the score sheet, his second goal of the season, his first since the opening night, and doing the old Yaromir Yager salute with that thick mustache that Jason Zucker is 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 sporting for November. That entire sequence, uh, I've, I've been watching that all morning to try to, to bring me out of the depression of a six-game losing streak for the Pittsburgh Penguins and having to talk for a fourth or fifth straight podcast about this team not winning hockey games or looking bad in hockey games. If you're struggling with that, Penguins fans, just watch Jason Zucker do the salute and try to forget about how that game ended. <laughs> try your best. You know, <clears throat> the jerseys were nice. They were a nice little touch to the they game were. early on. I, I still don't think they're my favorite amongst the amongst the league, but hey, you guys can listen in for that much later, much later. Um, and also, it was a surprise. It was a little surprise. Hey, guess what? We're getting the jerseys tonight. Whoa, that wasn't on yeah. the schedule. How about that? That's fun. And we suck. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do think some of the potency that I was talking about on Monday did start to flash through in the last two games. Yeah. Um, they certainly didn't have it on that road trip out west, but you saw it with the quick Gensel goal in the third period. They have that opportunity because they're so talented that's potency right there getting an opportunity you saw it early in that game brian russ with a beautiful bounce pass over to drew o'connor to send him in on the breakaway and he he almost scored i thought he made a good move on him and it was a nice save by eric comrie and then of course the three goals in three minutes against boston that is you know you chase a guy like linus allmark considering how well he has been playing this season that's gonna show this is a good team and that's what makes it more frustrating is we see what this team could be and then we see what they are at their worst in the same games, and it happens every single night, and they end up losing in the end. So, you know, this is a good team still. Uh, they're in their probably, hopefully, worst stretch of the season early on, and if they don't turn it around, yes, I understand it's early, but I can't remember who said it. I'm going to have to go check, and, and and one of our listeners, if they, if they know the quote and they know who said it, they can let me know, but it might be early, but as somebody said, who I don't know, it gets laid out here real early. Sometimes it does. <clears throat> I, I keep saying you don't want to play from behind. Um, mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. And you had mentioned uh, uh, us chasing uh, Olmark. In three of the four home games we played this year, we've chased the goalies. The only time we didn't was Arizona, and uh, they, they probably they just left Femelka out to dry. Yeah, in that game. and they maybe should have that game. So it, let's say three for four with an asterisk. Um, that's a that's a like you said, this team is potent. It is. It is. That West Coast swing wasn't fun. But even in the games in Boston, or against Boston and for part of Buffalo, uh, yeah, this team has its abilities. I'll keep saying this team is good. They just need to find it. Yep. Uh, we are going to 
preview Penguins Kraken. There's not much to get into. I mean, we, we saw the Penguins take on the Kraken last Saturday uh, in Seattle. The Penguins lost 3-1, to one, one of those goals being an empty netter. But it could have been a lot worse. Two overturned goals. The Penguins video coach uh, added again. I think they're 3-for-3 three three on the season this year. They were 7-for-7 seven seven last year. So uh, really good with the, with the challenges are the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, but it, it really kind of hides the fact that Seattle caved in the Penguins after that first period. I thought it was an even first period in that game. And then Seattle kind of turned on the afterburners once Jake Gensel opened the scoring in the second. But, you know, you'll get Teddy Bluger back. We talked about that. It's going to be a benefit on the PK. It boots out one of the bottom six guys that have been fairly unproductive to this point. But at the same time, if the Penguins are going to turn this around, it's got to be the guys that have been out there. It's got to be... Heinen, it's got to be Kapanen, it's got to be, you know, everybody else that's out there, Paling. It's, it, it has to be those guys that turn their games around and play a lot better. Dumoulin, definitely. Latang, Petrie, both goaltenders. It doesn't matter that, it, it helps that Teddy Bluger's coming back. It does. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It helps that he's coming back. But you have to, the, the guys on the ice just have to be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Bluger can only help so much, and he's going to take a game or two to get into that swing. So you yeah. got to find the right, you got to find the right moves from the right players. It helps that he probably could have played like ten days ago, but because of cap constraints, they said, you know, we need to put you on the IR, the LTIR, so you can continue to practice in full capacity for the next two weeks, and then we'll we'll bring you back after that. But either way, uh, with, with Carter out as well, um, we'll see how the roster moves all shake out this weekend. But the road ahead for the Pittsburgh Penguins, like we said, one game in the next six days. Gives them time to figure some things out. Maybe work on the power play, specifically the breakout on the power play in practice. We'll see if they they, they end up with that. Um, then six of the next seven games for the Penguins are on the road. Four of them against teams that made the playoffs last season. And the Pittsburgh Penguins this year on the road are 1-5-1. and one. It's not time to, that's, that's, that's why when I said earlier, it's not time to panic yet. I'm not panicking yet for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's a six game losing streak tied for the longest losing streak under Mike Sullivan. It's not great, but get chicken little ready. Cause this next stretch is not going to be easy for the Pittsburgh Penguins team. That's already struggling. No, it's not, but anything's possible. Mm-hmm. We've some, somehow, if we, if we're able to turn it on against good teams, if we're able to find the way to. <clears throat> clamp it down there shouldn't be an issue there shouldn't be an issue we should be able to walk out with a couple of wins and i'll leave everybody with this and we're going to take a quick break come back and we're going to do our metropolitan division rankings which oof, it's uh not going to look good for the pittsburgh penguins at least on my end uh this is 2.0 the first in season one uh we'll do that after the break but the last thing i'll leave you with is something i said earlier in the show the penguins need to not worry about playing the full 60 at this point just get better throughout the game That's what I want to see from them going forward, starting on Saturday against the Seattle Kraken and going forward through all those road games to finish off the month of November. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, our Metropolitan Division Power Rankings 2.0. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We're running a little long today. We have a lot to say, of course. The Pittsburgh Penguins 
have lost six in a row. But let's get right to it, Horwat. Our Metropolitan Division Power Rankings 2.0. The last time we did this was preseason. So now that we've gotten to see each team play 10, 11, 12 games, here's how things are going to stand to us in the hierarchy of power in the Metropolitan Division. Horwat, start us off. Give us your eight through five for the Metro, starting with number eight. Starting with number eight, ah, they're, <clears throat> they're at the bottom. They're going to stay at the bottom. Good old Columbus. I was high on them early on, but guess what? They don't seem to be able to put anything together. Uh, <clears throat> moving up, sorry. Number seven, Washington. I don't know. They're just down there with us in terms of ranks. I'm just kind of pulling from rankings on the actual, the actual rankings and then kind of going through my own head. Washington doesn't look phenomenal. Five and four. Five, four, and two, sorry. They're down there with us because I'm going to give us seven. Sorry, five, six. What up? The one above Washington. Six. Six. Mm-hmm. Not doing well today. <laughs> Those are my bottom three, though. Columbus, Washington, Pittsburgh, and... Yeah, that's, it's not pretty for those teams right now. They're all teams that can turn it around. And every team above them are teams that can also turn it around the other direction. So, mm-hmm. who knows how this unfolds. I'm not going to lie, Horwat. I find your eight through six an overcorrection. And I understand. Listen, the first power rankings of the in-season is when you're going to see the most movement. Because you don't know what these teams are going to look like. A lot of new additions uh, when you make the decisions before the season and are in our first edition of this. But I, I'm going to say there was a little bit of overcorrection made there. Uh, I do agree with you that Columbus is number eight. Um, I wasn't as high on them as you were to start the season. And then they started the season very poorly. Like, they didn't have Patrick Lyonne for a stretch. I understand that. But just the way that they've been playing and the fact that they're the only team below the Penguins in the standings, a team that has lost six in a row. Yeah, the Columbus, to me, they're number eight, and we both agree on that one. Number seven, I'm putting the Philadelphia Flyers. I really don't care about their start to the season because it was a lot of false wins to me. Uh, you know, they're, they're not performing at five-on-five. Their goaltending cannot be, you know, that's that's not going to maintain because Carter Hart is not that good. And every team, every single team that John Tortorella joins has a really good stretch to start the season. But when it comes down to it, this team's just not good enough. They're not talented enough to stay up with the rest of the Metropolitan Division. So I have the Flyers at number seven, and then I have the Pittsburgh Penguins at number six in the same place that you have them. Not getting a win in two weeks will do that. Um, I had them at number four to start the season, so they only dropped two spots for me. You had them at number three, so they dropped three for you, and we've talked about the Penguins for 45 minutes today. We don't need to get into them that much more, but uh, definitely room for improvement for the boys from the Steel City. Horwat, who do you have at number five and number four? Uh, <clears throat> five, I have Philly. You know, they, Yeah, they've gone off to that hot start, and they've lost... A few more games are coming back down to earth, but as as of right now, they just seem like a pretty good team. The John Tor- the early season John Tortorella team, yeah, you can't knock it. Uh, but number four, the New York Islanders are on a four game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Man, that's don't know what to expect from that team, but uh, four game winning streak, I guess that, that, that that's good to put them up to six and four after going two and four to start. Yeah, no, I think uh, they're a good position for fourth and. Man, this my top three is interesting. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, I have the Islanders actually at number five since we're talking about them. I think Ilya Sorokin is still carrying that team. I mean, Ilya Sorokin off to another really good start. They do have one of the best penalty kills in the league, but they're the inverse of the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
The Penguins started hot, and now they're cold. The Islanders started cold, and now they're hot. So they're, they're two teams that are you know, participating and performing in the same basic levels, uh, which is not a good thing if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. But the Islanders are also the team I've watched the least so far this season, so I really don't have a great grasp on them. So I have them at number five. Number four, I have the Washington Capitals. Uh, I do think that they're similar to Pittsburgh in a situation where they're, they're an aging team uh, that has not had the best of starts. I do think they're coming around a little bit quicker than the Pittsburgh Penguins are. But I also think when you look at Washington, you know, Alex Ovechkin had a slow start. That's not going to stay that way. Like, he's going to turn things around. A good start for Darcy Kemper in Washington. He's looking like the guy we saw in Arizona. Whether that maintains is a different question. But he's a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. He won it last year with the Avalanche. And he's looked every bit the part so far for the Washington Capitals. And that team has the excuse, Horwat. They're devastated by injuries. They already had Backstrom and, and Wilson out coming into the season. And that's why you ranked them below the Penguins, I remember. But losing Connor Brown, John Carlson... Carl Haglin, TJ Oshie, being without all of these guys, I'm going to give them a little bit more credit whenever they're they're not as high in the in the standings as they'd like to be. So number four for me is the Washington Capitals, and that leaves the top three. I'm going to say number three. We we put we both put uh, this team in the top three, which we didn't at the beginning of the season because of how good they're playing. I thought about putting them at number one because I really like them. But I'm going to put them at number three, the New Jersey Devils. I have them at- they're one of the ho- they're one of the hottest teams to start the season. John Marino has been fantastic. In <laughs> hindsight, is 2020. It stings whenever your team's not playing well and the guy you traded away is looking like a house of fire. And they lead the league in expected goals for at five on five with 67 percent as a team. Absolutely phenomenal start from the boys from New Jersey. So uh, I have the Devils at number three. I have them at two. Uh, yeah, that hot start you can't be can't be ignored. But I do look at three losses over just playing out three losses in ten games. Uh, their goal differential is ridiculous. It's plus eleven. By the way, tied with the Islanders for the best in the division. Uh, maybe the Islanders should be pushed up a little further. Anyway, it's uh, they look they do look good. But they're one of those teams that much like the Flyers. I think the way you looked at them is you got to come back down to earth eventually. Um. That's my number two team, though. For my number three, it's the New York Rangers. Uh, they played 11 games. They may have uh, 14 points, but of my top three, they played the most games with six wins. So, eh. I'm just going to drop them for that because that's just the way I'm looking at it. Sure, they've won three in a row, but in 11 games, you have six wins. The win percentage is, of the top three, they have the lowest win percentage. And I guess that's pretty much how I did the top three here was the Rangers win percentage at 636 down below the the clean 700 of the Devils. Yeah, with the New York Rangers, I actually have them at number two. So we just flip-flopped our number twos and number threes. So I have the Rangers sitting at number two. They didn't get off to the hottest of starts, similar to a lot of the teams in this division, it seems like. But they're starting to look a little bit better. Their five-on-five numbers are already better than they were last season. They have the goaltending. They have, you know, the the defense, I think, with Adam Fox and, and Jacob Truba, whatever you want to say about him, he's still a really good defenseman. Um, more so, I like Lindgren and, and uh, K. Andre Miller. But, no, the Rangers were initially my number one. I am going to dock them, not because of their performance, 
But because of the performance of the other team that neither of us have mentioned, both of us have at number one, and that's the Carolina Hurricanes. They are quietly just plodding along as one of the best teams in the East in a very difficult Eastern Conference this year. And they're just out there putting up the numbers like it's no big deal and just quietly, quietly putting together a nice start to the season. And if you're not making noise and you're make and you're still winning games, that's that's the that's the perfect recipe for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, like I said, nine games, fewest game played, fewest games played in the division here, with six wins, <clears throat> six two and one through nine. That's the seven twenty two points percentage is actually what it's called. Sorry, but they are easily just the number one by sheer fact of they have that kind of win percentage with. Uh, the fewest amount of games played. Like you give them two more games, mm-hmm. uh, and I bet they're jumping both the Rangers and the Devils. And for what it's worth, this it, we're saying that these teams don't look that good. You know, like we're pl- like I'm plotting Washington down in seven. If Washington wins today and none of the other teams in the in the division get a win, they're in second. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's still that early in the season, it's and this close. yeah, that this division is still that good or bad that everything is still so close so we're giving these rankings but at the same time everything can flip literally tomorrow and and there's always the the age the old adage that don't even look at the standings until at least thanksgiving maybe christmas and especially when the east is going to be as close as it is this year at least as competitive in each game as it is going to be this year i would probably say closer to christmas like when when i look at the standings Yes, Philadelphia is a little higher than we all expected. But Philadelphia, if you look a little closer, also doesn't play well at 5-on-5. Five five. <laughs> if you look a little closer, they're getting a little carried by their goaltender. They they lost a one to nothing game the other day in overtime to the New York Rangers. Like, that shouldn't be what happens. And then also, you know, it's John Tortorella. Eventually his teams, you know, get sick of him and the way that he wants them to play. And it wears them down and they start losing games. And Philadelphia is just not good enough to keep it up. Um with that type of style and with that type of pace that they're trying to set. So uh, that's our, our division rankings 2.0. I'll run down through mine. Then you'll run down through yours and then we'll say goodbye for the weekend and hope that when we come back, we'll have a win to talk about. But uh, my power rankings 2.0 for the month of November, I have the hurricanes, Rangers, devils, capitals, Islanders, penguins, flyers, and blue jackets. Not bad. We're going to share the Carolina and the Columbus spot. But I got Carolina, New Jersey, New York Rangers, the New York Islanders, the Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Washington Capitals, and Columbus Blue Jackets. At least we can agree on the best and worst team of this division. (laughs) Yep, that's the way it's going to go all year. Other than that, a lot of differences, which I like. I like having different opinions. It makes me happy. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We'll be back on Monday to discuss the Pittsburgh Penguins game against the Seattle Kraken and look forward to a long stretch of road games for this Penguins team. We will see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, Penguins fans. 